This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message this morning is Knowing the Patriarch. So when you guys think of Hebrew, what are some of the word pictures that come to your mind? Just the word Hebrew. Dark skin? Good coffee? That was for our coffee lovers. Jehovah Java. Holy grounds. Typically what people do think of, uh, I shouldn't say people, I should say born-again Christians, think of when they think of Hebrew is they think of the patriarchs. Patriarchs classically have been associated with uh, a very, very small group of men. And these patriarchs are spoken of by the uh, Jewish people today, and even particularly the Orthodox Jewish people, of being this small, tiny, primary group of patriarchs, who are some of those patriarchs they're referring to. I'll give you the first one. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes. And even Job was referred to as a patriarch, which opens a brand new door of discussion. Because Job was not a patriarch, according to the definition of the strict Orthodox Jews. So we have to look at the original meaning, Hebrew meaning of patriarch. Not what man has turned it into. It's not even a term we use anymore. It's not even in the new dictionaries. It's only in a handful of Bible dictionaries. For some reason, the enemy is trying to erase this word, literally from our our vocabulary. And I believe he has been working at erasing it from the vocabulary of the Jewish people for a very long time. Patriarch does not really mean what we think. It means it has a far richer, deeper meaning. Yes, Jane. What would you say if I said that Hebrew is actually the one word that God gave us to describe him? We're not going to do it today, but we are going to do it. We are going to slice and dice the word Hebrew like we're using Hebrew to slice and dice words. There is no word that you're going to find that is more original to this earth than that word. There's nothing before it. There are many, many, many languages in the world today and and God can speak them all. Actually, he can transcend them all. 
I'm not even sure he will put some of the words on his tongue that man has come up with. But he can transcend them all because he can just speak to the mind. But when we all get to heaven, when we live on this new earth, when we live for eternity, we really do, and I think it's okay for us to be curious in respects of what, what, what language are we going to speak? What culture are we going to live? What customs will there be? There are answers in the word of God to those questions. It's Hebrew. So you can be assured there is a reason why the enemy wanted the Hebrew language to go through four major modifications. To where you cannot even figure out what Hebrew is saying from the symbols that are used today. So pictorial Hebrew is a thing of the past. It's called ancient Hebrew. The slide, the background of some of the slides you're going to be seeing today is literally a photo from a camera, a photo picture of pictorial Hebrew on stone. It's where I get the pictorial Hebrew symbols from this stone. There are many, many stones and markings and carvings and leather writings and, and, and that, that have pictorial Hebrew. But I tried to find online the absolute oldest archaeological find that is available on pictorial Hebrew. And that is the background slide you're going to see in this series. It's amazing. It is amazing how God communicated so simply with these simple minds his language. That's okay. Well, that's why I wanted to show you this this video clip of this father sketching out his family and then this song. These are the two most powerful elements of communication known to God. Song and pictures. That's all you need. There, you don't need anything more, actually. We have developed languages. But see, even in God's language, it was pictures. And who, by the way, was in charge of song before God brought light to the earth? Yeah. Hello. Satan was in charge of song. And if he knew then and he still knows today that God has got a real big thing about pictures, he is going to try to erase the reference to this original language. You can just absolutely count on it. Satan is going to complicate verbiage. So when you go to your average quote unquote Christian school and everything is about do you have credentials do you have certification do you have the ability to debate do you have the ability I'm telling you it is not of God God designed us to be simple our faith to be simple our communication to be simple and some people view uh, my teachings that I've done for years on, on and through the Hebrew is very complicated. Well, they're not listening then. Because a fifth grader can teach like this. 
It's just pictures. That's all it is. Let's take a look at our Hebrew word picture for today. Kids, you want to come up? I need two. Two of you. Or three. (laughs) Okay. Phoebe, do you remember what this symbol means? You don't? No, not quite. Gracie, do you remember? Okay. Do you remember what this is? A bug. A bug? A great big one then. Do you remember? Remember the head? And the horns? Ox. Okay. Is it easier to see an ox in this picture or in this picture? Which is easier to see the head of the ox? Yeah. Okay. Now, do you, do you remember what this symbol is? Uh, oh, either. It's hard to remember. What about this? This kind of looks like something you do when you go camping. Yeah. It's a house. So this is a... And this is a... Okay. One of you come over and hold... The ox. We finally found a picture of the ox. Okay, hold it up so they can see it. Okay? And Phoebe, you want to come hold the house? And Tori, you're going to read it for me. Okay? So what does this say? This one? An ox house. So it says ox house. Because with Hebrew, we read backwards, don't we? Right? That's because God always goes from Revelation backwards. So ox House and an ox stands for something strong, just like that big ox. He's strong, carries a heavy load, doesn't he? Yep. And then we have the house, so the strong house, right? So what does it mean, Tori? What's the word? Strong house. house. Strong house. Okay, thank you very much. You may sit down. Av is father. In its most original form of Hebrew. And it is the strong house, which is basically not... Before we were talking about something strong in front of a door. This is actually a strong house. So in our little video clip where it says, Let the rains come. Let the storms come. And then he's sketching away and there's this little bubble around the family. That is a Hebrew word picture of strong house. That is a patriarch saying, I will protect the family from the storms and the elements of the world. Av, strength or leader of the house. When you see a house with a strong leader in the house, the marriage is strong, the fatherhood is strong, The beliefs are strong. A lot of the words that we are going to extract from the Hebrew customs of family life over the next however many weeks are going to be from this word, father. Jesus referred to his father, and a lot of people say it is from the Greek. Wrong. It was from the Hebrew. It was even an earlier form of Hebrew than what the Pharisees were used to hearing. So Jesus referred to his father as Abba, Abba Father. Ab is Hebrew father. Av is patriarch father. And there is a huge difference. When Jesus referred to himself as the father in several passages, he was referring to himself 
as an Ab. But Jesus, when he was referencing his father, he said, Abba, Father. So here's some key things to remember about Abba, Father. He was using the father of a family, and he was using father as patriarch, which is a high position of respect and honor. Abba, B-A, onto the Ab, is an intimate way of saying it. It's like Dada, Abba. So he's saying, you are the, the daddy of my home. Abba, Father, you are my Av. You are my patriarch. Our patriarch. It's a powerful statement from Jesus. And he uses pictorial Hebrew to say it. It's amazing to me. Okay, so in your mind right now, what is patriarch to you? Before we get into some of the details. It's one of the only words. Founder. Founder, okay. Patriarch is one of the only words that you cannot find any Latin in, as you say it in English. It's very rare. Most English words you can find Latin. Remember what I said? There's usually a definition within the, a, a, an English word because it came from the Latin. Almost all of our words, for example, have got the definition within the word. This does not. It stands alone. It's a very, very special word. In fact, I went and looked at the different translations, not all of them, but some of the different translations of the Bible, and some of the translations completely removed patriarch from the Old Testament. The name, it's, the, it's not even found. No word search. And you can do it nowadays. You can go on to Bible Gateway or whatever, bring up a certain translation and do a word study search. You can find out what words they're not using anymore. There's only several translations that will even use the term patriarch. I cannot tell you how mad that makes me. Righteously mad. This is an anointed word of God for a good reason. Let's take a look at some of the details then. Patriarch, Hebrew, father of a tribe. This is not father of a house. Well, you say, well, I thought we just read that it's, it's, a, it's a strong leader within a house. Well, there's two kinds of houses to God. There's a house like this one. And he would say, Stephen, you are the father, the Ab, of this house. Then there's the house of God. So we are saying when we pray and ask for a manifestation of the Holy Spirit within this room on a Sunday morning, it becomes the house of God. There's a different authority in the room than when we are just fellowshipping with someone in their house as Ab. So Hebrew is a father of a tribe, the name given to the head of a tribal name or bloodline. So obviously it goes to who's the oldest bloodline name-bearing person that is still alive. That person has to be male and they will be the patriarch. No matter how emergent the church goes in erasing the name word patriarch, God will not. It's like when man legalized divorce and now divorce I just heard recently from a 2010 survey, national rate of divorce is at 65%. Well, the reason why that's getting so far out of control is because of the liberal laws 
surrounding marriage in the allowance to excuse yourself from the responsibility. God didn't change his laws on it. You see? But see, we think God adjusts his doctrines according to our modern times. We just think that. So these people that are running around saying, we need to redefine Christianity, which is the definition of emergent. It's people who are redefining Christianity. They're going to have to redefine who Jesus is. And that was the perfect plan by the enemy. Jesus, Made, is a Muslim Jesus. Muslims have an actual Jesus. His name is Made. He is referred to as Jesus. The Mormons have a Jesus. Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's not my Jesus. I can assure you of that. There are many people who say that God told me. And I look at them and I say, if it does not match Scripture precisely, I say, who is your God? One of your gods is emergent. This guy who's saying this or this guy, one of you you has an emergent God. A patriarch who is carrying a tribal name that is not of God. So my point is this. Whether the church agrees or disagrees with the idea of patriarchy, I can assure you Satan does. He will establish the system on earth on this list I'm going to give you this morning. If you want to know what the system of the Antichrist will look like, it will be the system of the patriarch. He will be at the top of the pile. He will be the head of all tribes. He will be the worship leader. He will be. He knows what I'm about to say is absolute truth. And he will establish a replica system of the way God believes and lives. That's why it's going to work for a little while. Second point, from the beginning of Hebrew law and customs, we find that the ancestor patriarch or father of branch families retaining authority over all of his children and over his children's children. So, Now we're getting to the point of patriarchy that becomes extremely uncomfortable for the branch families. So that supersedes the authority of the branch family. So if the patriarch is present, what the patriarch desires, wants, or or customs, not just the law, which is, honey, I want you to blah, blah, blah. That would be law. That would be guideline. That would be a command. Custom is that the branch family members are to know exactly how the patriarch functions. And you mold your behavior around that patriarch to honor them. Well, you can take this as far back, a whole lot farther back than Jacob and his mom stealing the firstborn rights from Esau to give them to Jacob. But they understood how this worked. They literally had to lie and connive and manipulate to get this blessing from the patriarch to give Jacob the patriarch rights. That's what was going on here. Because the patriarch was at the top of the pile. And the second son was not. This is very critical stuff. They knew that back then by custom and design. Today, you have to teach it to people. So we will. 
But the way we function today with these branch families that are under the patriarch is they all form their own community underneath a patriarch and say, well, that's our family. You have no right to speak into our family. Really? Well, if I buy into the emergent customs of the world today, I would say, yeah, you're right. That's your family and I need to leave it alone. What a perfect way to turn a man into a pile of mush. God then will not use this mushy leader to try to motivate and move this branch family because he's mush. He wants to, but he can't because he's mush. So we are going to spend some time talking about what makes a man a pile of mush. And it starts with W. I can assure you, feminism is what has destroyed this. Completely destroyed it. And if women don't think they have, they don't have feminism in them, they're lying to you. Or you're lying to yourself because it is at the root of the tree of knowledge for women. As pacifism is at the root for men. God said it very simply. So we have to put things back into context. And that's what we're going to begin to do today. Or we're going to have a mushy church. So, Branch family members may act detached and isolated from the patriarch. And we're going to talk about what to do with them, if and when they do. But this is the truth, the way God originally set it up. Now, whatever new connections, sons or daughters, by law, they're called in, should be a dash in this Latin word, but in law. What that means is you're inside the law. You have been brought into a tribal family name by law. If you're a woman, you are brought into the name of that husband. Does it mean you forsake the tribal patriarch from the family you came from? Well, let's say yes. If I told you yes as women to leave and forsake your father and mother, then I would be teaching you one of the most destructive elements of family life. Because if your husband died, where are you going? That father, there's no scripture anyway that anywhere that says that a woman is to leave her father and mother and cleave to her husband. Nowhere. It's for the man to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So he can have a branch family. Then he yields that branch family as a part of his patriarch system. If her husband dies, that father becomes an immediate authoritative figure, patriarch, who has direct control and management and needs to over that household. The patriarch of the, the son that died, this patriarch and this patriarch over here is what forms eldership in the community. They're be working together on how they're going to take care of this widow. Well, you take care of this, and I'll take care of that, and you have the kids on Mondays and Fridays. Whatever it is they come up with. It's not one or the other. It's elders. It's plurality of leadership. It's where we get this structure we are functioning with with Heartland. And I'm going to show you that here in a few minutes. So a patriarch's authority was, or is, authoritative. He was honored as central point of connection and as a representative of the whole kindred. Kindred is just another word for familia, family. Thus, 
Each great family had its patriarch or head, and each tribe its prince, selected from the several heads of families which it embraced. This does not say authoritarian. The difference between authoritative and authoritarian is authoritarian is a ruthless leader. Someone who is authoritative uses their authority to grow the tribe for the sake of the patriarch. Authoritarian grows and prospers through money, gold and silver, to prosper him or to prosper the family. So someone who is authoritative uses growth of the tribe to take the resources to build the house of God, not his house. That's why in God's vocabulary is two distinct definitions of house. So an authoritarian patriarch still has to be honored, still has to be respected. But they're building, they're gathering gold and silver so that they can do what they need to do with it instead of building the house of God. And they have all the tribal members working together for that one cause. That's the difference. The connection marriages between patriarchs is what forms plurality of eldership or biblical eldership is what we're going to be calling it. So the training classes that we're going to be starting soon on biblical eldership won't be just for elders that are going to be trained and molded for this little fellowship. We're going to invite other elders from the community. We want to teach other uh, leaders, men, what it really means to be a patriarch, what it really means to be a prince, and what it really means to be an elder. So that the community of elders are simply patriarchs. You can't be an elder unless you're a patriarch. That's basically the guide. You can be in a wannabe position, being trained, but what formed the original Hebrew elders that were known in the gates, if you remember Proverbs 31, that's the most popular passage. My husband was what? Known in the gates. All the elders held out, uh, hung out at the gates. These were the patriarchs of the tribes. Of, of their, whatever their name was that they were responsible for. They were at the gates and they were to be representing everyone who came underneath that one name. Now we have to use the Mormons Ancestry.com to figure out who our ancestors were. Well, that would be an insult back then. You knew where your name came from and who was connected to it because the patriarch closely managed anyone who was brought in by law or let out by law. Very tight structure on this name thing. God didn't want intermarriages because of the name. So now it's just kind of like blurred everywhere that you have to use special software programs to figure out who your great-great-grandfather was. It's crazy. That, that, that's not known in the Jewish world. You could mention who your father was, some of them, hundreds of years ago. Do you realize there's a group over in Israel that truly believe and have the proof, and I saw this on the History Channel, that they are literally the blood sons of the apostles. And I believe them, by the way. <laughs> they watch their lineage and record it, and watch it, and record it, and who's a fake, who's a real. They are so meticulous on ancestry because of what you're seeing. 
God was so meticulous on ancestry. Have you not read some of the books in the Bible? He is obsessed over details of ancestry. Why? Because of this. Not us. So, oh, you don't want my name anymore? Oh, well. Are oh, you going to court and get a new name? Okay, that's, that's fine. If you want to be that way. Let me write them off. So we are all acting lost in our lineage. So when some guy comes along and preaches a hardcore lineage type of teaching, they're thinking, this is radical. This is crazy. This isn't necessary. People wander because they don't know where their leaders are. That's why they wander. They become their own fathers, their own kings, their own leaders. And, well, I can't rely. I guess I've got to do this myself. Yeah, if you want to hear something very fascinating, is that of all the 320 primary cultures in the world today, there's many more, but the three, 320 primary cultures in the world today, not one of those cultures, not one, has a female name. There are no female names in the world today. You say that's not true. I heard someone who went to court and got one. It's fake. They are a little tick that grabbed a hold and decided to call themselves something when God himself looks at that and says, no, you're a fake. It's like someone calling themselves grafted into Christ, but they've never had a born-again experience. They're fake. They're going to hell. They're going to burn. If you're not of the authentic bloodline, you die, you go to hell, and I'm sorry. I really am. I feel horrible for people who think they have the bloodline of Jesus Christ, and they don't, because they're ticks. It is. So for us to actually be in the bloodline, we have to be adopted and grafted into the body of Christ. You can't do it. And to be a Christ follower, which is the emergent movement, they've deceived people, Christians, into thinking that's how you can be a Christian. Well, I'm a follower of Christ. Isn't that what Christian means? That's why I don't like using the word anymore. Well, to be perfectly, be perfectly blunt, he says, whatever you hear me speak, it is the words of my Father. Whatever you see me do, it is not on my own initiative, but the initiative of my Father. Jesus knew he was nothing aside from his Father. When you see me, you see really, Steve, you see my Father. Yeah, but I love you and I worship you. I know, I know. I understand that. But you're really worshiping the Father, the Patriarch. So I'm going to show you some diagrams real quick, and that's why your notes are different today, is because I wanted you to have the diagrams big enough so you can look at them later. But this is a very critical point for us to understand patriarchy in the New Testament, and why it's so critical. But before we do that, this last statement says, if a branch family member says, you know, I'm not... Get ye away from me, old father. I'm annoyed by you. I'm annoyed by the family. I'm annoyed, whatever. A branch family headship says, I am going to isolate myself from the patriarch. Even from the Latin, it's the definition of prodigal. Prodigio, to be removed, detached, isolated, when you go prodigal, it's the, you're getting in the face of the patriarch and you're saying, I don't really care about your name anymore. Just give me the cash. Anytime a Christian talks to me about cash, 
I immediately hold my arm up. They're about to go prodigal. Because it isn't about cash. When they're putting name versus treasures on the line, God tells the patriarch what to do. Boot them out. Get out. Get off my land. And play with your whores. Which is what he did. So, the prodigal story is about a son saying, I don't really care about your name anymore. Just give me the cash. Give me what's mine. Okay. So he cuts him a check. And he goes out there and he spends it. And you know how the story goes. He, he gets lonely for his dad. I can, I can assure you, my father's gone on. And I still grieve over him. I still miss what I didn't have with him. And only males know what that feels like with daddies, as it, only daughters know what that feels like with their daddies and their mommies. Never goes away. That's what drove that young man after he spent his daddy's money, which was his daddy's money, daddy's, daddy's money, daddy's money. Well, who can take ownership of heritage? Nobody but God. God causes the wealth to increase and he causes the silver to be worthless. So therefore, as he's out there spending God the Father's money and he runs out of it and he ends up eating what the pigs eat and, and literally going from tree to tree, bark to bark, eating bugs, you know, all that. Poor kid was suffering. Who does he remember? Not his lovers. He remembers his dad, Ab. He comes running back to his Ab, but if you look at the story very carefully, he will not step foot on, on the tribal land. In fact, I don't even think he would have been allowed until he repented. So there's a clear separation of the prodigal, the isolated one, and the tribal patriarch. And when you repent of your independent isolation you will be allowed onto the tribal land again. Because I am told by my father, the patriarch, do not allow sin in your camp. So until I'm assured that you have agreed to reunite with the patriarch and you're yielding all of your prosperity to me, I, I can't have you on this property. Because the patriarch was responsible for spending the money, the influence, the family customs. He was responsible for preserving all of that. So if someone's hiding out a savings account on him, like this son was, it only takes a matter of time where he says, I think I've got enough to rebel. I think the father knew that prodigal son was going to rebel long before he did what he did. Third point you need to realize about that story is that he wasn't given the inheritance back. He already spent it. He had to be a laborer on the tribal property. So it had to be by the sweat of his brow that he could actually eat with his brother. Who was the next patriarch in line? And he'd have to serve his brother. Serve the patriarch, the next guy in line. All came back into order. He agreed to it. Okay, I'll be a servant to my brother. I just, I just don't like it out there. It's, it's lonely. It's isolated. Well, you're forgiven. Go, go get my robe, get my ring. He didn't say get my checkbook. And parents who consistently give money to a prodigal 
are throwing their money to you know where. Jesus even clearly spelled it out in his word picture where he spent it. So this is critical. And the prodigal son story is a New Testament story that Jesus told. If you want to use the Old Testament, New Testament as an excuse thing. And Jesus knew a lot of people would, so he brought a lot of those old stories forward. It is very critical. Here's the diagrams that we need to quickly cover, and then we will spend more time on them down the road. But I want to give you a snapshot picture of where we're going. This is what we call the what? The Trinity. Trinity, as I have shared before, is a concept that came out in the 1300s. And there was a big war over it. And the war basically was between those who believed that Jesus was a God, the God, and the Holy Spirit was a God, the God. So there's huge division over what you're looking at. What is pretty normally accepted in the church today was not in the 1300s. They did not, the standard was not that you believe that Jesus was God. Now, patriarch is another word for God. It's like a god of a tribe. But there is a separation between God and patriarch, even though if you got into the Hebrew, you're going to see them mixed up. They're all in there. Is that we don't want an Abraham calling himself God. But Abraham was a symbol of God. Moses was a symbol of God. Joshua was a symbol of Joshua, Jesus. You see? Prince. Which is what Jesus means. So, God the patriarch... Jesus, the son, the firstborn son, gets the rights of the patriarch. That's why he's a prince. So the eldest son of a family lineage is like a prince. He, These princes, like for example, you look in England and whatever, you have all the sons of the queen or king. They are the princes and the eldest one is in first line, then the next, and then the next. That's how they do that. Okay, they are to carry the responsibility of that patriarch staff. That's why in a lot of kingdoms, they literally have a staff to this day. I've seen some of them on a tour while I was over there. and It's unbelievable the amount of wealth they put into some of these things with the jewels and the gold and the whatever. This staff thing is just a huge statement of power. Well, they get it from this. God didn't get it from England. The staff is, is the symbol of power. And I am the king. And this is my prince, Edward. He'll soon be king. And this is the queen. So our government structure was set up under this design. So originally, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In heaven, before Adam and Eve were even created, there were, as you know in Scripture, primarily through Ezekiel, we see angels were called the sons of God. Do you remember the passage in Job when, when uh, Satan came with the sons of God before the throne? We say, were these dead people that loved God and they died? No, they're angels. The angels were classified and still are classified as sons of God. So that's your original family. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the angels, the sons of God. Family. Tribe. 
Now, you had a prodigal story going on there, remember? What happened? Just quickly, someone tell me what happened. Adam and Eve haven't come on the picture yet. There is a religion out there, and I'm not going to be embarrassed to say it, the Mormons who believe that Jesus and Satan are brothers. So that deception is put into place so that Satan can ultimately try to take the patriarch's job again. And they believe he will do it. He won't. He is never going to step foot in this tribal territory again. He will never get a foot across. Never. Why he doesn't understand that? I guess sin makes us stupid. But he, he's never going to get a footprint across this line. The prodigal story is from Lucifer. He is not going to be granted repentance. Humanly, Jesus told us the story to say, I'm here so you can have repentance. You don't have to end up like Lucifer. So, this is the original family and the original prodigal is Lucifer saying, well, I'm not just going to disrespect what you got going on there. I want to go right to the top and manage the whole deal. So, gals, I want to tell you something. When you dishonor your husbands, you are literally manifesting the actions of Satan. Because it is the woman is to show the world how to respect the earthly patriarch and also the prince. And when she dishonors him, she is literally trying to get at the patriarch saying, I can rule this territory better than you. Because Jesus is not a ruler yet. Do you understand that? He has not been given the staff. He's going to be given the staff after judgment. God is the one holding the staff. So all these timely pieces, God literally now brings Adam and Eve to exemplify patriarchy on the earth. He's going to show the enemy how it works. And the enemy is going to try to destroy it. And God is still going to get victory because of it. So, we have the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have Adam, who is the first patriarch, earthwise. We have Eve, who exemplifies the role of the Holy Spirit to the children. Cain, Abel, Seth, all the rest of them. So these children are literally to reveal the order of God to a very lukewarm world. That's what you got. I can guarantee you, you're going to find very, very, very few families that does not have a, have a prodigal in it. The number of prodigals is increasing through the generations. So now it's to the point you usually have one pure child out of all of your children. It used to be you'd have one bad one. One bad apple. It's completely reversed. It's because the word says what used to be right is wrong. What's wrong is right. So much confusion today. The children don't know what to believe. Why? Mommy's divorcing dad. Dad's divorcing mom. They don't, whatever that is. And they're confused on the role of patriarchy, prince, and queen, princess. So now, the reason why this is all important for us to understand Today is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The way you and I become a part of the Trinity 
We're not stuck down here as one of the angels. We become the bride of Christ. Is he set the system up that when you actually become born again, the Holy Spirit is actually put inside your mortal body. And we all become bridal members of Christ. So you mess up patriarchy, and I personally believe you're messing up the system of how people get saved. So why is salvation so mucky out there today? Oh, I prayed when I was three. Oh, I've been in the church all my life. I can't tell you how many counselees I've had that say, well, I grew up in Christianity. That means absolutely nothing to me. You could have written out your prayer by word by word, but I will watch for four things in your life. And if those four things aren't there, I will assume you are unsaved and you're deceived as a Laodicean. I may not say that to you, but I watch carefully. Because I don't want to miss the opportunity of leading you to a true born-again experience if you're one of these that grew up, oh, if I just stand by Christians, I'll become one. Show me in scripture where that works. Praying doesn't get you saved, folks. Even though it is a part of salvation. It is simple. Two sermons down the road, we're going to talk about how marriages of today become symbolic for being united to the Father, the Patriarch. Jesus did not pick you, even though we're chosen ones. It's God the Father who does the choosing of the bridal members for his son. It's the patriarch's responsibility to choose bridal members for his son. It is Jesus who got was told by his father who is going to be a bridal member today, Salvations Today, on March 20, 2011. There are people actually going to become bridal members. It's because God said to Jesus, those three right there in that service, Jesus walks up and touches them. The song, He Touched Me, Oh, He Touched Me. Soon as Jesus touches you, you fall to your face in repentance. It is a decision by the groom of his hand touching you that causes you to get saved, not your conscious decisions. He touched me. This was my day of salvation. I don't care what words you pray. You're going to get saved. I don't care if you understand all the doctrines that are written out in the Baptist theological checklist. You're going to get saved. Because he touched me. Holy Spirit comes inside your mortal body. You are now a part of the Trinity. It's powerful. This is just pure scripture. But you see, Satan doesn't want this to get out. Because if this gets out, and they will realize how powerful they are. Wait, I'm a child of God. You can't touch me like that. You can't talk to me that way. You see, you'll function as a princess of the king of kings. <laughs> Satan is afraid of authority. That's the only thing he's afraid of, guys. He's not afraid of your, your power, your money, your anything. He's afraid of authority. He's afraid of patriarchy power. He's afraid of the staff. He's not afraid of the guy under the crown, I can assure you. It's power. So when it comes to headship in a family, you have the family patriarch, you have his wife. And you have the sons of the branch family members. 
you have their wives, you have the children and grandchildren, and so forth and so on. This is the original structure and still is the structure of how the Hebrew customs and the Hebrew scriptures speak of patriarchy. If one decides to say, I'm going to detach from you, we've already talked about what's supposed to happen. You don't reject them. If I remember correctly, the father stood on the edge of his property every single day looking on the horizon, waiting for him. He loved him so much. But it doesn't say he went, ran off into another patriarch's territory to chase him down. He waited until the son decided, this, this is not good. This is not, this is not the proper design. He comes and reattaches and the, the father doesn't just accept him back, just accept him back. He waits to listen for the four. Do you really want salvation, son? Do you really want help? So a lot of fathers are so grateful for this emergent moment that they go, oh, come on, they hug. And four weeks later, they're back in drugs because they're not getting it. Son, are you really serious? And you will know in their eyes if they are truly repentant. The eyes never lie. Because the father, patriarch, wants this. Because these are the elders someday. Right now they're deacons. But see, all of my children's fathers-in-laws in the law, one being here today, are other patriarchs. We're the elders. We're to work together. Not one of us has more authority than the other. We are elders. And we're to be looking at these family branch families we're responsible for. And we need to be talking and working together according to the word of God to decide what's best for them. And these sons better go, yes, sirs. And when you have one patriarch not agreeing with another patriarch, it's up to the son to choose which one directly aligns with the word of God. That's the one they pick doesn't have to do with one patriarch being better than the other. Switch one lines with the word of God. That takes some studying to show thyself approved to handle accurately the word of truth by the deacon, the son. That's why we get our church structure from what I just covered with you. The senior pastor is just one of the elders. So all these elder patriarchs are equally leaders. And it comes from the patriarchy system. And they are classified as the elders, as the patriarchs. And the deacons are the sons who are being molded and trained and brought up to be patriarchs. So how we handle gossip and rumors and problems and blah, blah, blah. There's a special little thing that we're going to be using to help take care of a lot of that stuff that will reinforce the system of patriarch. So here's our conclusion today. The patriarch is the head of a tribal name or bloodline. From the beginning of Hebrew law and customs, we learn that this ancestor patriarch or father of family or father of branch families retains authority over his children and his children's children so as long as he lives. Whenever new connections be, may be added, that's your children getting married, like sons and daughters by law, when he dies, the branch families are not to break off and form new tribes or communities which is where the concept new community comes from. Commune, sameness, oneness. But should stay under another common head, the next in line, a patriarch, which is the oldest son. This new patriarch will, would carry on the original version and purpose of biblical patriarchy, 
with an attitude of dignity toward the last patriarch. So I am representing my father. I need to remember the good things that my father did teach me. I need to embrace that so I pass that on this way. But it also spiritually is Abba is my patriarch. He happened to give me an intercessor, Jesus Christ, to teach me through the Holy Spirit so that I may pass his beliefs, his customs, his language, his ways onto, for example, Q. Who will in turn pass them on to his wife? Who will in turn homeschool those into the children? Who will in turn homeschool the dog? <coughs> Creation. That's how it works. Pretty soon the child gets old enough that they don't want to they don't want to do homeschooling with dogs anymore. And dolls. Well, what are you gonna do, honey? I want to get married. Starts the cycle again. Simple deal, isn't it? So a patriarch's authority is to be handled with the mindset of being authoritative and not authoritarian. He is to be honored as a central point of connection and as a representative of the whole kindred tribe. Thus, each extended family member is to have a head of home or shepherd to lead their family uh, units the direction of the multi-generational heritage of all previous patriarchs as long as it's biblical and honoring to God himself. And the way you do that is the things that are not honoring to God, you throw them away. Don't throw the patriarch away. Any and all future connections of marriage between patriarchs formed are to be formed biblical eldership and will be used to lead future generations. Branch families that isolate themselves from the living patriarch are to be considered prodigal and prayed back into the functioning model of biblical eldership, no matter how long it takes. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org.